Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You are listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. My name's James Whitmore and it's Sunday the 15th of August. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land this show is broadcasting from, the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This week we're all about creepy crawlies, that's right, invertebrates, and not just underwater. We'll hear from the latest sea slug census and also from some seabird researchers who've made a surprising discovery about something that's eating their subjects. But first, here's an update on climate change. This week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, released their latest report. It runs to nearly 4,000 pages and is written by more than 200 scientists from over 60 countries around the world. The scientists looked at more than 14,000 research papers. It's the most comprehensive climate report going around. Some of the report's alarming findings are that human activity has caused the world to warm 1.07 degrees since the 19th century, the fastest rise in temperature in at least 2,000 years. Greenhouse gases are higher in, in the atmosphere, are higher than any time in the past 2 million years. The report finds that we'll likely cross the critical warming threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius sometime in the 2030s. Extreme temperatures and rainfall and droughts are increasing and with them impacts on people and ecosystems. To take but one example, temperature extremes that used to happen only once in 10 years will happen four times in a decade at 1.5 degrees In a separate study this week, scientists found that important currents in the Atlantic Ocean south of Greenland are destabilising. The IPCC report says these currents will continue to weaken, and if they collapse, would cause abrupt changes to weather across the world, particularly in Europe. In Australia, the East Australian current is warming four times as fast as oceans elsewhere, and the report finds that sandy shorelines in eastern Australia could retreat by up to 100 metres by 2100. The report is full of very bad news, but it's also very clear about the solution. To stop global warming at any level, we have to stop putting CO2 into the atmosphere and find ways to take it out. To avoid warming going too far beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius, we need to reach net zero by 2050. In response to the report, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said, Technology changes everything, referring to his government's technology roadmap released in 2020 that focuses on technologies like clean clean hydrogen and carbon capture and storage and has been much criticised by experts for leaving out renewable energy and also what to do about fossil fuels like coal and gas. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. 
Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Albatrosses, shearwaters, storm petrels, gannets, seabirds have to be, got to be some of the most beautiful and spectacular wildlife of the oceans. They're also increasingly threatened by the things we're doing to the oceans like fishing, pollution and climate change. What's it like to study these birds in their often remote habitats? And what do you do when you find giant seabird-eating centipedes eating your research subjects? To find out more, I spoke to Luke Halpin, a PhD candidate at Monash University. All right, Luke, so you're a seabird researcher. Can you tell us a bit about what you're trying to find out about seabirds in your research? Well, the majority of my study um, currently is on Norfolk Island, and I'm studying seabird movement ecology, so um, predominantly... The bulk of my research is looking at why seabirds, how seabirds navigate, where they move to, what areas of the ocean they use, what are important to them, and um, testing out some technologies and sort of finding solutions to tracking technologies as well. Um, But some of it is also on um, food webs. Um, In particular, I've been studying a um, giant centipede, um, that is actually a major predator of seabirds out on the Norfolk Island group. Mm. And so it's a mix of movement, studying how and why seabirds move and um, some of the food web implications on the islands that they live on. And why is it important to know about how seabirds move around the oceans? Uh, well, we're interested, obviously, in conserving seabirds. Um, things like climate change and uh, you know increasing human pressures are threatening seabird populations and uh, there's also fundamental questions about uh, biology but uh, predominantly we're interested in um, finding out what areas of the ocean are important for seabirds to forage and rear their young and where they when they migrate they, they tend to migrate quite far from their um, their breeding colonies and so they rely on resources in those areas to survive and to reach an optimal condition before they migrate back to their um, uh, breeding colonies. So you must um, travel to some pretty remote and exotic locations in your research. Have you got a memorable field trip? Um, all of my, I've, I've done so much. All of my trips have been so different. It's hard to have a favourite. Um, <laughs> one of the most memorable for me was. Um, I got to go to Midway Atoll, which is where the world's oldest known bird lives. Mm. Um, Laysan Albatross called Wisdom, which is about 70 years old. Mm. Wow. So one of the places you've been studying recently is uh, an island called Phillip Island off Norfolk Island, not to be confused with uh, Phillip Island here in Victoria. Can you describe that island for us? 
Bird Island is probably one of the most remote islands I've been to. It's um, situated between Australia, New Zealand, and New Caledonia in the Tasman Sea. Um, it's part of an old volcanic chain, and um, it's a sort of a towering, it's a towering old volcano, essentially, um, that is the brightest orange and ochre colours from its uh, history of um, sort of environmental degradation, I suppose. It's a history of having previously had pigs and goats on there mm. um, that has caused the, um, the, the, the devegetation of it, essentially. And so it's quite striking to look at as you approach the towering cliffs. And, um, yeah. and, and it's also home to seabirds, of course. Yeah, it's got huge numbers of seabirds, especially the, the biggest populations of black-winged petrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, various others, there's 13 species on that island, so it's so it's really a hot spot, wow. especially for petrels. So what what sort of effort goes into reaching remote locations like Phillip Island? Um, a, a lot of effort. Some of these remote islands are difficult places to work. You know, um, for example, when, when I work on Phillip Island, first of all, we have to get to Norfolk Island, which is a three-hour flight. Um, and then actually reaching Philip, we have to take a small boat over and there's quite a um, difficult boat landing. We have to carry everything we need, all our food and equipment um, for several weeks. Everything has to come over on the boat in backpacks and then get hauled up these cliffs with ropes. So it's quite physically demanding just getting there. And you've recently made a slightly alarming discovery on this island, uh, alarming not for people, but perhaps alarming for the seabird chicks that you study. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, when I arrived on Phillip Island back in 2018, um, I arrived there, as I mentioned, to study um, the movement ecology of uh, a few species of petrel there. And it wasn't long, maybe a few weeks, that we discovered that uh, many of the chicks that I was monitoring were actually um, dying, um, and we, it quickly became apparent that it was uh, they were falling prey to a giant centipede, an endemic giant centipede that also lives there. And how big are we talking about when we say a giant centipede? The largest that we recorded was uh, around 23 centimetres, uh, so they're quite big and bulky. Things. Mm. They're nocturnal, they only come out at night. Um, and, uh, yeah, they are predators of a number of things, including seabirds. And how how much um, uh, how much of their diet do seabirds make up? Um, we calculated that um, the um, percentage of their diet of seabirds was around eight um, percent, if I recall. Wow. Um, but they also feed on um, other vertebrates, geckos, skinks, and fish that have been dropped by some of the tree nesting seabirds on the island. Hmm. So they have quite a quite a big um, vertebrate component of the diet. And something that I thought was really interesting in this study is the presence of these centipedes is actually an indication that the island is recovering. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, um, the theory is that these centipedes, by preying on a a variety of vertebrates, they are, uh, and especially seabirds, they're locking in nutrients that would not otherwise be available to this system. Um, So essentially... um, by preying on on these vertebrates, they are um, 
potentially spreading nutrients that wouldn't otherwise be available to the ecosystem. And where that occurs, it's possible that the plants and the uh, you know the biodiversity in general might do better than the denuded areas, uh, which are the, the areas of the island that don't have any vegetation. They're heavily eroded um, after a history of having rabbits and goats and pigs, which have, have all now been removed. And so we think that the centipedes are probably playing an important role in the uh, the recovery of that ecosystem. Mm. It's kind of interesting because we often think of, you know, well, when we think of seabirds, we often think of them as out on the open ocean, but they also play a kind of an important role in land o- ecosystems. Uh, are there examples of that from elsewhere in the world as well? Yeah, seabirds are um, pretty well known as... Um, playing an important role in fertilizing ecosystems. So um, they're well known to bring in um, organic matter from elsewhere to near shore habitats and to islands, um, fertilizing, for example, coral reefs um, and uh, islands especially. Um, so they're bringing in marine resources, they're dropping fish, they're um, defecating on the island, fertilizing the ecosystem. And also in some instances they're responsible for um, seed dispersal. So they play really important roles in a variety of different ways. Mm. Luke, how did you end up studying seabirds? I credit my interest in seabirds to a long volunteering stint that I did after my undergraduate uh, degree in Wales in the UK. I went to live on Skomer Island for about five months. Um, Skomer Island is a nature reserve island off the coast of Pembrokeshire in Wales. I spent five months uh, volunteering there, mm. getting involved in as much research as I possibly could, volunteering on different projects and things like that. So it was, it was from, from then on, I guess, I knew that I wanted to do more. Mm. Amazing. We know that seabirds are threatened by a number of things worldwide. How, what, how does your research contribute to the fight to save seabirds? Um, well, I put on, I've worked on a variety of different projects. I've worked on some restoration projects in uh, California on a small seabird, a storm petrel, the ashy storm petrel. Um, and uh, some of my research, we've looked at ways to um, restore the population by creating habitat um, and by reducing predation events and things like that, trying to enhance population sizes. Um, and in other areas, I'm trying to work on understanding important um, foraging areas and things like that to, to figure out which areas of the ocean are important uh, for breeding seabirds. Um, trouble with seabirds is they, wide, they range so widely um, that they can face threats on so many different scales. You know, mm. um, you've got marine bycatch. Some species are uh, susceptible to getting caught in fisheries. Um yeah, recent recent research has showed that uh, species like short-tailed shearwaters, which are um, nests in big colonies in Victoria, um, have undergone stresses at sea where there hasn't been enough food um, up in the North Pacific, um, and so they they've struggled at, at that level. Um, so there's lots of potential issues that seabirds face. Um, Introduced predators is a big one, especially for island nesting species. 
That was Luke Halpin from Monash University talking about his seabird research and those incredible findings about seabirds on Phillip Island, an island off Norfolk Island. After the break, we're going to be talking about some different ocean invertebrates and the people who are counting them. But first, here's a song. This is Maisha with Made for Silence. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. The gate of the castle when I cannot prove you wrong. Then you lose what you have trying to handle that I haven't moved beyond. My anger is not quiet, but I taught it to be still. My hunger is not mild, but I trained it not to kill this mouth to cool on wild. But I've shown it greater skill. My love beats louder still. You talk, but you got a mouth. People, place, language. Connecting stories, culture and language across Australia. Contribute your content in digitube.com.au. Sign up for a free account and select your options for streaming, download and broadcast promotion. A 3CR supporter. That was Maisha with Made for Silence and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Would you be jumping out in the water at this time of year? Not sure I would be. But that's exactly what a bunch of keen divers did recently as part of the Melbourne Sea Slug Census. Melbourne is home to an amazing number of sea slug species. To find out more, I spoke to Nicole Mertens from the Victorian National Parks Association. 
All right, Nicole, we've talked about the sea slug census here on Out of the Blue a bit before, but can you just remind us about sea slugs? What are we talking about here? So when we're talking about sea slugs, we're um, talking about basically shellless or mostly shellless marine mollusks. Um, they are snails, um, but they have mostly yellow their shells. And I think uh, most people would probably be thinking of the colourful and lovable nudie branks when we say sea slugs. And they are, in fact, a, a branch of sea slugs, I suppose. Do you have a favourite sea slug? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I have a couple. Okay, go on. <laughs> I think when you um, spend as much time as I do looking at different <laughs> different photos of all the different seas, like you have a couple. Um, so I think one of my favourite true nudibranchs is um, Polythera jandrichia, um, which, as the name suggests, um, found near Jandruk here in Victoria. Um, it's this tiny little sort of pinkish purple nudibranch um, with these really big kind of antenna-like rhinophores on its head that makes it look like a bit of a cartoon bunny. <laughs> um, so I think that's just a super cute little one. Um, and my my actual favourite sea slugs are not nudibranchs at all. They're the group called the Sacroglossums or the Sap-Sucking Sea Slugs, mm. um, just because I think they're, they're pretty cool. They have this um, really interesting way of feeding. Mm-hmm. So that when they um, when they come up to a bit of algae, which they might be uh, interested in feeding on, they have this really sharp tongue-like um, thing in their mouth called a radula, and they kind of slit open the algal cells and they suck all the contents out. Um, and some of these sap-sucking sea slugs can actually hold on to the chloroplasts, so the photosynthesizing compounds inside the algae, and they can store them in their own bodies and they can actually use it and be solar-powered for a time. Wow. So... <laughs> Plant vampire sea slugs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and how, <laughs> how, how, how small are we talking? How tiny are we talking? Um, so it does depend on the species. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get some really big ones in Victoria. You can get ones that are sort of the size of a football, which are pretty noticeable. You could even see them from, say, like the top of a pier. Um, but some of the sacroglossums in particular are really tiny, and we're talking like a couple of millimetres, so no wow. more than sort of like your, your pinky fingernail. Mm. And so this survey, I think I read, has been running since 2013? Um, yeah, so we are collaborating with the Sea Slug Census uh, Project founders from Southern Cross University in New South Wales, um, and they have been going for yeah, a fair while now. Um, for the Melbourne Sea Slug Census, our first census was in April in 2018. And why are you out counting sea slugs? <laughs> um, well, besides the fact that they are very cool and mm. we're very interested in knowing more about them, um, they are what's considered to be a bit of a bioindicator species. So because most of the sea slugs have like a really um, short lifespan, usually less than 12 months, a lot of them are really specific in what they'll eat. Um, they can be quite rapidly affected by changes in the environment. And so that's one thing that the people in New South Wales have been noticing is that there's actually um, some evidence that quite a few species are kind of moving their ranges like further southward and that might be in response to climate change. Mm. So we're really interested to see whether we can start picking up um, similar kinds of trends here. And also there are just so many species, like I was looking at some of the previous reports. It's just astonishing. 
Yeah, it's true. So I think um, we're up to about 200 species we recorded in the last couple of years in Victoria. Um, Victoria's got about 400 or maybe even more known species of sea slugs. So we've got a little way to go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but yeah, there are there are quite a few. And luckily, you were able to squeeze in a survey between recent lockdowns. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so we are also interested in seeing whether there's any difference in, I suppose, um, when and where we're seeing different types of sea slugs um, throughout the year. So whether there's any seasonal differences in like abundance and occurrence. Um, And we are sort of basing that off, again, the kinds of trends that we're starting to see out in New South Wales, which has been going for a bit longer. Um, So I did try to get people out um, in June last year, Obviously, lockdown thwarted us then, hmm. um, and we were thinking that we'd probably have to cancel it again, but we were quite lucky in that we had a bit of a break in restrictions, and people were able to, to go out over the weekend and, and jump in at their favourite sites. And, um, yeah, we're now just in the process of getting all of the photos that everyone sent in um, identified and confirmed with our expert at the museum, uh, Bob Byrne and hopefully get a report out to people pretty soon. Yeah, and I know you haven't got any final results. Can you tell us a bit about what you found? Like uh, I saw that um, earlier this year in March you found a record-breaking number of sea slugs. Did you find uh, uh, what sort of numbers of species were you finding this time? Yeah, so comparatively to March, um, the numbers are a little bit down. We did only end up getting photos from about 10 people this time, um, which is significantly less than in March, um, and partly probably because of the, the weather and also, you know, hang-ons from restrictions and, and everything. But um, we did still get 160 photos sent in, um, and my rough sort of back of the notepad estimations on species, we're looking at um, still about 70 species, wow. which is more than twice as much as what we um, got the first time we ran a June census um, way back in 2019 now. Wow. Do you, do you have any idea of what's going on? Are there, are there actually more species of sea slugs or are people getting better at finding them? I think it's uh, probably safe to say that people <laughs> are getting a little bit better getting their eye in. Mm. Um I can say um, that I was talking to Bob Byrne on the phone today because I did have to mail him <laughs> our um, entries for July to have a look over. And he did mention that there are a couple of very interesting species in the list that I sent him and we're sort of fingers crossed that one or two of them are actually um, first-time entries for Victoria. So they might not be new species, but they're certainly um, yeah, new occurrences for Victoria. Mm. And uh, what's involved in a sea slug census? What happens if you sign up? So you don't have to sign up. You don't have to register. Um, All we're asking is that when we're uh, announcing a census, the next one's going to be in October between the 22nd and the 25th. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Um, If you happen to be out on the coast anywhere along Victoria during that time and you do or you're in the water and you do come across a sea slug, just take a photo of it send it in to us and we'll do the rest. Um, where can people go to find more information? Okay, so if you want to find more information on uh, the project and uh, I guess um, learn a little bit more about how to send in your photos, um, you can jump onto our website at www.vnpa.org.au uh, back, what is it, slash C 
E-slug. That was Nicole Mertens from the Victorian National Parks Association talking about the Melbourne Sea Slug Census. Get involved if you can. And that's all we've got time for this week. To listen to this show again or to find our podcast, head to the website www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue. And you can also follow us on Facebook for updates. We'll be back with you next week.